If you've got your outlines, I'd encourage you to take them out. The goal in 40 days of community is two senses. Number one is to deepen the sense of community within our church, number one. Number two is to show love to the community around our church, reaching out in love around this church as a church family. Now, one of the reasons why we're doing this 40 days of community is to underline and enforce and practice doing ministry and work together. And today, since next weekend we're going to be focusing on our community together, we're going to look at you, one of the purposes God made for your life, young people, people in the middle age, people getting ready to retire, listen to this. You were made for a mission. That is one of God's purposes for your life. Underline it, guarantee it. Now, why is that? Why were you made for a mission? Well, this is the reason why. Because God wants everybody in his family. The Bible says God is not willing that any should perish or spend eternity separated from him. Because God never made a person he didn't love. God never made a person he didn't have a purpose for, an intentional purpose for. And God never made a person that Jesus Christ didn't die for. That struck me this week as I was sitting in town, as I was seeing all these people walking past me. I thought to myself, my goodness, every one of these people needs to hear and respond to the message of Jesus Christ. Either yes or no. Or by default, it's no. That grabbed me, as it were, if you excuse the expression, by the throat this week. I had a fresh view of that. And therefore, because Jesus never made anybody that he didn't come to die for, he wants us to partner out, which is what leads us, partner together, which is what leads us from the scriptures there, and to reach out in love. So God wants you to share his love with other people. Who? Number one, obviously your friends. People that you see regularly. People that you work with. People that you cut hair with. People that you teach. People that you sell to. And you show his love to those who don't know Christ yet. Who are not yet in his family. Because remember, God's will is that they should be in his family, but they need to choose. God will never force anybody into his family. If they want to be adopted, he's more than willing. So God wants to share that good news. But the good news of that for us is you're not alone when we do that. God wants you to do it with other people together. So picking up the very first verse from your outline there, St. Paul wrote this letter to a church in Philippi. And I'd like to read this uh, scripture aloud together from Philippians 1.27. Let's read it. You are standing together side by side. Whoa. Right there is one of the purposes of God for your life. Let's read it again. You are standing together side by side with. So how do we do it together? How do I share the good news with my friends that God loves them? How do I do it in partnership with other people? How do I actually do that? 
And how do we do it together as a small group? The Bible says in Philippians 1.5, you have been my partners in spreading the good news about Christ. That is the only news that counts because as we sung today, there is salvation in no other name. Nobody else saves. Buddha doesn't. He never even claims to. Muhammad doesn't. He never even claims to. Jesus is the only one that saves. So today, following that verse exactly there in Philippians 1.5, you've been my partners in spreading the good news of Christ. We're going to look at seven ways to P-A-R-T-N-E-R, seven ways with other believers to help you reach out to those friends, to those relatives, to those neighbors, to those co-workers. Now, I need to say this up front, so there's a, it's like, listen clearly to this disclaimer. So nobody can tell you, I wasn't told this. Before you can do this, you have to make a choice. I'll say that one more time. You have to make a choice. And that choice is that I am not going to be selfish. I am going to be unselfish. I'm not going to carry on life and start. I'm going to start not just caring about my own life, but I'm going to start caring about other people's lives. I'm going to care about telling them about the good news. That is a choice. You either say, yes, I will, or no, I won't. Stark contrast, will you? And that's the question I'm going to ask you today. Will I choose to do the right thing and live in alignment with God's purpose for my life and be loving by doing that? And will I choose to follow what God wants? And part of what God wants in your life is for you to share the good news and partner with others to do that. So, Because many of us here are in small groups, let's kick off with how can our small group partner to share the good news with others. This can apply in a small group, especially, and that's the way this has been designed, but it can also apply individually. Number one, the first thing we need to do, the first P in partner, is to pray together. Pray together. So this week when you meet... Ask your small group to pray for your friends who have not stepped across that line. I remember when I was faced up with stepping across a few lines, the first one was to come to Jesus. That was easy for me. The tough one was for me was getting married. Did I as a young man want to commit at 20 years old, just about 21? That was a big one. There's a line. And I had to make a decision, yes or no. It was a free choice. I'm very glad I did. (laughs) And some of you know that feeling. You know how it felt when you were faced up with a decision. So think about those friends and pray together for those who are still considering the claims of Christ. That's okay. It's great that they're considering it. I have two people very close to me who are still considering. They've made the choice about God. Yeah, you can't believe whatever that means. By the way, that's another side note. Try to get to Christ-centric conversations because a lot of people talk about God, but if that God doesn't look like Jesus Christ, he's no God. He's a false God. So the first step is pray together. For those who don't really know God in a personal way. And by the way, you cannot force people to love God. There are people in my life I would love if they would love God. 
but they're not doing that at the moment. That's not their, their choice. They're choosing not to. Maybe you know some people like that, but you can. Point number one, pray together for them. Together. By yourself, it can get discouraging. I'm just telling you. But there's hope on this one. Why? Because prayer can melt hard hearts. There's a guy that stands about this high. He's my brother. He had a tough heart for many, 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 many years. And my mom and my brother, Mike and I, prayed for him when he said, I mean, he was physically, don't you? Da-da-da-da-da. He was so hard. But prayer melted his heart. Prayer warms cold hearts that have once known something of the goodness of God, but have walked away. Prayer arouses apathetic hearts. Don't care. Prayer can change stubborn hearts. Why? Because prayer taps the power of God. Actually, it's not you doing it, it's God praying through you. That's a whole other message. So what exactly should we pray for as a group of guys or a group of women? Colossians 4.3. Here's a very practical verse. This is one thing you can pray for, according to the will of God. Pray for us that God will give us an opportunity to tell people his message. We can talk a lot about a lot of other things, but if we don't get to his message, we're missing the point. Actually, friends, also pray that God will let me rise because there are opportunities everywhere. You may want to write this somewhere on the side. I haven't put this there, but I found this very true. Prayer makes me aware. Let me say that again. Prayer makes me aware. I found when I've said, God, here I am. Flawed and foibled as I am, but I, I, I want you to know this, God. I want to be pleasing in your sight, and I want to share the good news. Please, would you bring me somebody? If I pray that prayer, I'm telling you that'll happen that day. It's amazing. So prayer makes us aware. And when I start praying for my co-workers, it changes my heart. I'm not so focused on getting the deal. I've got to get the deal for my targets, but I still am more aware of them. And it broadens me. Or my focus is normally very narrow otherwise. And as we pray, opportunities begin to happen. So here is an action step. If you're at New Hope, we know We need action steps. So here's one you can make this week. Make a prayer list, a group prayer list, and then share it. So in other words, I want you to ask everybody in your group, name one person, someone you know and love who does not have a relationship with Jesus. And then share those names and make a list of them between you and your groups and start praying for each other's family members or friends. And there's power in that. So the first thing to do is to pray together. When we partner. The second area is to appeal to common interests. Common interests. Before you can share the good news, you need to find some common ground. What do you both like to do? If you're both engineers, there's probably some ground there. I'd go down the intelligent design route. Whatever it may be. Before you reach them, you must relate to them. There was years ago, in the early 70s and 80s, that's a long time before some of you were even born, but as God is my witness, we could go down to a place like Wittianger 
and one of my friends would be on one side of the street, and I'd be on the other, and we would done some street drama. And in a Saturday afternoon, we could have conversations with people, just random people walking down the street, and maybe 19 over there would commit, uh, commit their lives to God and, and say the sinner's prayer on that side, and maybe 17 or 18 on my side on a Saturday afternoon. That was a season. That season has passed. What is now necessary, and I'm observing, is that we, we need to relate to them to reach them. So you find out what common interests or experiences do you have with those people? What common needs do you have? Now, one of the things that we found, when we go into a brand new community, which we've done several times in our sojourn around the world, our children made a pathway for us to meet other people immediately. That was one common interest, what we had, whether it be soccer or our children made a pathway through the kids. So you might want to ask, are we interested in fishing with some of those people? Are we interested in golf or netball or gardening or whatever it may be, or kids or soccer? Here's, here's why. Why are you looking for that? Then you can intelligently apply 1 Corinthians 9. It says, whatever a person is like, I try to find common ground with him. Why? So that he will let me tell him about Christ and let Christ save him. I do this to get the gospel to them. And also for the blessing I myself receive when I see them come to Christ. So here we have Paul, who is an incredibly astute guy and spiritual guy, using common ground. He said, if I'm talking to a Greek, I become like a Greek. If I'm talking to a Jew, I become like a Jew. And I, my conversation is couched in such a person. Not that I'm a chameleon. I'm just trying to find common ground so I can build off that and get to Christ. Right. So here's an action step. Maybe what you want to do this week is, in your group, figure out what common interests you have. You could have rugby. Some of you guys could be have cups of tea. Well, some of my groups got ladies that are, that are more elderly. And so it could be, you know, it would be very different for them than some of the young men. So find the common interest in your group and make a list and say, who else may be interested that I know in this as well? So you're already going to do something as a group, but you invite the people who've got those similar common interests as well to come along. Maybe your neighbor, your co-worker. I know in California, they are mad about what we call hot wings. And they often sometimes have a, every couple of weeks, because they like to have cookouts there, or go down the beach, they would do every two weeks that have a, a movie night and cookouts. And they could bring people from work. They could bring people from anywhere. But the deal was they were intentional about it. And you'd be surprised how many co-workers would come to a barbecue or come for ice cream, but they may not come to church. But the people were intentionally reaching out. The third way to partner together is to reach out in love. P-A-R. Reach out in love. It's the right motive to reach your neighbors and your friends. Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself. And people don't know and don't really care much about what we know until they know that we care. Then it has more authenticity. So why do we want to share the good news with others? Not because it's of duty, not because it's of pressure or guilt, or that we are better than any other, any other Christian or anything like that, or to even impress God. Well, number one reason why we want to share that is it's the greatest news in the world. It is the greatest news in the world. It's better.
better, listen carefully to this, it is better than if you came out with the total cure for cancer. Cancer affects us in this very short period of time we call life. 70, 80, 90, 100 years if we're lucky. We're talking about eternity. We have the greatest news in the world. And the good news is that you are not an accident. See, because if you're an accident, there is no meaning, there is no purpose. It's random, flukish chance. And there's nothing after this. But if God made you, you were made by God, and God has a purpose and a plan for your life, you were made to last forever. The good news is that God wants you to live with him forever in eternity. Forever. But he wants you to get to know him on earth. And he knows and loves you, and he wants you to know and love him. So Jesus Christ came to earth to show you what God was like. In fact, the Bible says Jesus is the exact representation of God. The exact. So you can know, oh, he's not some woo thing in the sky. He, Jesus Christ is the exact representation of God. And that he died on the cross to pay for all of your sins so that everything you've ever done wrong... If you ask for his forgiveness, it's completely wiped out. You get a fresh start. You get a purpose for living, and you get a home in heaven. That's the best news. The second reason why we focus on our community is we're so grateful to God for what he's done. Friends, for me, if God never did another thing for me, between now and when I see him, I still owe him my life. If God never answered one more prayer, I still owe him my life. Instead of a heart of gratitude. And the third reason we focus on the community is in 1 John 4, 8, is the Bible says God is love. God is love. And God gives us hope and his love for other people. You can't have somebody as big as God come into your life and not help him and not have that change your life. And all of a sudden, you start to become less selfish and more caring about others. Notice, the Bible says... Because we loved you, that's what the scripture says, because we loved you, that's the motive, we are two things. One, happy to share not only God's good news, that's the first criteria that he's going to share, but secondly, even our own lives. See, there's a sense of community, sharing the good news and our lives together. God wants us to do both of those things. Very practical. Now, sadly, most people who haven't stepped across the line expect Christians to reach out in judgment towards them, not in love. So in other words, let me phrase that. Many Christians are known for what they're against, not what they're for. And that's focusing on the negative. There are some things we are definitely against. But on balance, let me quote again. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he came. Right? That's what he leads with. That's a strong suit. If you don't choose that love, that's your choice. But there are then negative consequences that follow from that. Let's not lead with a negative. Jesus didn't. Sharing the good news is simply this. As humbly as this, it's one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. And we're thankful that we found a source. (laughs) The Bible says this on this judgment that Christians are often, unfortunately, tarred with the brush. 
from 1 Corinthians 5.12. Notice this. It is not my business to judge those who are not part of the church. Did you see that? It's not my business. So don't lead off with, well, you shouldn't be doing this, and you shouldn't be doing this, and you shouldn't be doing this. God's love will transform that person's heart, and it'll drop off. It's like in the old days. Don't do this. Don't do that. Don't do that. I knew that was all wrong, but it was always punitive. When Christ came into my heart, he changes their heart. Now I don't want to do that. He changes the desire in the heart. He changes the autopilot on the inside, which comes on the outside. So in other words, let me put it another way. Never expect unbelievers to act like believers until they are believers. That's what that means. It's the Holy Spirit's job to correct them, not yours. Now, you may be faced with this, like Kimberly and I were just maybe a month ago. We went to a particular setting, and in that particular setting, we were sitting opposite, um, or two gay guys. And so we spent probably the next maybe hour and a half having an interesting dinner conversation with two gay guys, and uh, who were friends of some friends of ours. And some people would say to me, well, why would you do that? Why would Kimberly do that? Well, the answer is because Jesus would have. Jesus would have. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5.14, whatever we do, it is certainly not for our own profit, but because God's love controls us now. So an action step here is ask God to give you a deeper love for other people. A deeper love. Fourth way, you and I can partner together to let people know how great God's love is. And this is a biggie. Tell your story. Tell your story. Tell your story. Now, some of you in this room have been Christian a long time. And if I asked you to give your story in three minutes or less, some of you would be having a, I was say a heart attack or let's make it a panic attack. If I gave you a microphone right now, can you come up here and tell somebody, assuming you're not allowed to use any Christian language, to communicate to somebody in three minutes what your story is? Notice First, first Peter 2.9. You are God's instrument to do his work and to speak out for him. What is this? To tell others of the night and day difference he made in you. The night and day. Light and darkness. The most effective way that you can tell others about the great things God has done in your life is to share what the difference God made in your life has made in your life. See, because you're the expert in your story. Nobody else is. You do not have to be a theological graduate, a, a Bible scholar. You don't need to be that. You are the expert witness. Now, what they don't want to hear is your story... And 15 minutes into it, you're up to, and when I was five years old, (laughs) they do not want to hear that. People want to hear a short story. We owe it to them, if we love them, to get our, can I be blunt with our family here? To get our heads together on this one. 15 minutes is not the deal. Three minutes is. Take a few minutes to think it through so that you can tell Somebody cogently what God has done in two to three minutes. 
That is a practical action step. You've got plenty of time when you're not under pressure to think it through and to write it down to get it in your head. See, Jesus said, you, you, Anita, you are my witnesses at university. I've got you there for that. And the witness just says this. Here's what I've been, and this is what's happened. This is what I saw. This is what happened. This is what I heard. That, um, what's the best way to lead into telling your story? Well, that depends upon the circumstances. To lead into, there is no best way. It depends. A couple of suggestions. Um, one of them would be to listen carefully for any problem that comes up in their life that Jesus has helped you with. You go, oh, there we go. They face that problem, but don't be too quick. Get it out of them to find out what it is. And by the way, you have more than one story. You have more than one. So don't dump the whole truckload in at once. Second, I often find is referring to a current event, which I know has a hook in it. It's going to bring them back. Well, they're going to say something like, that's right or that's wrong. We say, that's interesting. Tell me, why do you think that? And you can start to build the bridge until they realize they're in thin air. But you can ask questions and listen to problems. So the action step for this one is to write out your story this week and share it with your group. That's very practical. This is God's will for your life. Write out your story in about two or three minutes. And by the way, to give you an idea, you can speak around about 300 words a minute. So that's a fair few words you can get in. But you have to be clear. And once you've done it and you've practiced it, it's kind of like, jeepers, I better not. What's another illustration? I know. Let's go to driving a car. When you first drive a car, you feel like you're all fingers and thumbs, remember? Where's the clutch? A, B, C. (laughs) Remember that? You're all fingers and thumbs. But after you've done it a few times, it becomes like autopilot. You don't even think about whether it's auto or manual. You just drive. And the same with the testimony. You've got to do the work up front, though. So write it out. And then tell your group it this week. Group leaders, did you all hear that? There's some accountability, and you've got to do yours too. You may want to start. <laughs> okay. Now, another just a little twist to the end of that, that action point. Oh, by the way, Psalm 66 verse 16 is a biblical verse that supports this. Listen, and I'll tell you what God has done for me. That's biblical. Can you do that? So maybe towards the end of the 40 days of community, invite a bunch of friends over for a barbecue. There's power in a group there. And, you know, have a barbie and then just have a few people share. Nothing heavy. No altar calls. Just, you know, hey, whatever it may be, figure it out. But a barbecue is a great excuse to have people over. Fifth way to help other people experience God's love is this. Nurture friendships. Boy, we need to dwell on this one a little bit. Nurture friendships. Build friendships so that you can build a bridge and Jesus Christ can walk across it. Trap. What's the trap here? Why is this hard? Pardon? Not enough time. I'm busy. This step takes, another caveat here, a little more effort and a little more intentionality 
and love. It takes time to build a friendship. Romans 12, 16 says this, be friendly with everyone. Don't be proud and feel like you're smarter than others. Make friends with ordinary people. Now, some of you may be saying, oh man, I really don't have many friends. Well, you know what? Welcome to most of the other people in this world. If you have one or two, you do really well. That's the honest truth. Don't listen to that Facebook tootsie wootsie. Most of those guys psh, are not really friends at all. They're acquainted. We've got many acquaintances, but few friends. So let's just establish that. Now, the second point is, if I don't have many friends, how do I, you, you don't have to go looking for them. They're all around you. Because they are crying out for friendship too. People in the natural flow of your life. But you know what? As Michelle just mentioned, it's so, so easy to overlook them due to the speed in which our life goes. All of us relationally skim. We need to be careful of that. Ask yourself, who is in my life now? Not going out and doing new stuff, but who is in my life? Those people are not in your life by accident. God knew you'd be right next to them at work. He knew you'd be next to them as a neighbor. He knew you'd be next to them at university. You know what? I've often thought about this. Some people are pushed for time. Okay. What many of my colleagues have is an office. They have a projector, they have car parks, no childcare needed, and they've got an hour at lunchtime. Why not start a small group at university, at work? All the stuff's there. You're not going anywhere else. It is the lowest barrier to doing that. Maybe at uni, you've got something that maybe you want to talk about apologetics and how do we even get there? some of the philosophical arguments or the beginning or whatever that may be. What are the evidences for the existence of God. I tell you what, you slap that up so at university, you pull something like Stephen Meyer, put a short 15-minute or 10-minute DVD on there, you get that rolling, you're going to have a bunch of people there. How do we know God exists? How about this one? The reliability of the New Testament. You don't have to be expert. We've got tons of experts. You can fire that in there. But it'll start at least reaching out to them. Or there's many ways. People can be, go eat lunch, get a conference room, show on the laptop. You don't even have to leave. Your home group, you can do it at the same time. Now, one of the best ways to reach out, again, is to have a party. And if that's too much of a drama, just have a coffee. We invited our neighbours over, maybe, I don't know, two, three months, two months ago, something like that. Someone stayed till 8 o'clock at night. And they said, we haven't done this for ages. I'm embarrassed, can I tell you that? I haven't done it as much as I needed to. By the way, Matthew, the apostle, did. Luke 5, in his home, Levi, that's Matthew, gave a big dinner party for Jesus. Many fellow tax collectors, read sinners, extortionists, and other guests were also there. Now, I don't think Jesus was having an altar call at that party. There was no agenda. It was fun and hanging out. I've been to some place and said, man, I didn't know Christians were such fun to hang around with. Maybe for you it's having a night with Saturday with the boys and the light rugby or whatever it may be. Or a coffee. Or do something or watch something of common interest. You may want to take a look sometime and see how many times the Bible records Jesus was eating and drinking. 
That's what the, the Pharise- some, of the, some of the heathen and the Pharisees were saying, well, you, Jesus is a, a drunkard and a glutton because he was known for being around places where they ate and drank. Count me in. <laughs> I ought to be there. So much of Jesus' ministry is at parties. And by the way, look at this verse here, 1 Timothy 3, 2. One of the requirements to be a leader in the church, in the early church, was this. You must enjoy having guests in your home. We've lost that art as Christians. And Christians tend towards two extremes. One is over here, and it's the isolationist view. Ooh, I don't want to get tainted by the world, the things they talk about. So I'm just going to isolate myself. I don't pollute myself. So I'll build the wall around my little home and my family, and we'll build my own little culture. And we'll have our church culture and our school culture and our family culture. So they'll either isolate themselves like that, not recommended. Jesus said you're supposed to be in the world, but not of the world. That means not buying into their values and goals. Or the second thing that Christians do often is they go to the other extent, they imitate the world so much. You know, they're dressing like, in the old days, Britney Spears or trash talking like the world, just to be like them. Or we have exact, if we looked at the world's values and our values, how are they different? Because Jesus said, you love me, you'll hate the world. You love the world, you'll hate me. There's a black and white distinction here. Do we have the same goals? The answer is not isolation. The answer is not imitation. Let's just act like everybody else. The answer is insulation from the world and it's infiltration in the world. When I go fishing, if I'm lucky, I'll pull up a decent-sized snapper. And when I take that home, fillet it and gut it, and you know what I've got to put on that fish? Salt. Even though it's been living in salt all the time, the salt had never got inside the fish, but the fish had been in the water all that time. Same way it's insulated from that salt there. The Holy Spirit does not want you to be afraid of people, but to be wise, strong, to love them, and enjoy being with them. Interesting, isn't it? So the action step for this one is bring somebody, a friend, to your group. Maybe for that barbecue I'm thinking about, or that coffee. Think of a neighbor or somebody you could bring. Or plan a barbecue or a fishing trip, whatever the common interest is, to nurture that friendship. And the sixth way to help your friends come to know Christ is this. Expect God to act. Expect him to act. William Carey. Very famous evangelist said, expect great things from God, one. Two, attempt great things for God. Are you attempting anything great for God? See, few people come to Christ the first time they hear the good news. They kind of want you to sample it and check it out a little while and consider it. A man by the name of Lee Strobel was married to a, a gal called Leslie Strobel. Leslie became a Christian first, and she prayed for her husband for years. And he was a tough nut Chicago Tribune reporter who came to Jesus. The point is this. Never give up on anyone. Never get discouraged because God loves that person more than you do even. No one is hopeless. Trust God. Hebrews 11.1 says, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we cannot see. That's that certain hope the scriptures talk about. 
Now, salvation is always initiated by God, and he will use you and your faith to bring others to him. Remember that parable in Luke 5? The Bible says when Jesus saw their faith, that's the one, two, three, four people that brought that guy on on the mat, he said, friends, your sins are forgiven. Now, it took four of them. The secret is it doesn't take a lot of faith. It just takes a little faith in a big God. A little faith in a big God. And anyone can do this, even little children. Remember Jesus' words, unless you become like a child, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. What does that mean? What did Jesus mean by that? Like a child? Yeah, well, we must love Jesus with childlike sincerity. Unadulterated, childlike, wholehearted love. We must trust Jesus with childlike faith. We must share Jesus with childlike enthusiasm. You know how a kid does that? Not constrained like that. And here's the last way to help you bring your friends to know Jesus Christ. Represent Christ with your life. Represent Christ with your life. So, the scriptures say this. Look at this. Colossians 3.17 Whatever you do, whatever you say, Let it be as a representative of the Lord Jesus. You need to be an audio-visual Christian. Verbal and visual. Both sides. We need to communicate and we need to demonstrate. Live your life and share it with your mouth. The Bible is specific. Do all you can to live a peaceful life. Take care of your own business and do your own work. If you do, people who are not believers will really respect you. Now the fact is, God specifically put people in your life, and you are God's representative to them. The Bible calls you as a living letter written to those people, winsome or not, according to your life. Now the reality is, people are hungry for God. They just don't know. They're looking for him in sex, they're looking for him in alcohol. They're looking for him in drugs. They're looking for him in pills. They're looking for him in experience. They're looking for him in materialism to satisfy those holes in their lives, to fill that. That's what they go after those things. And the Bible asks us, you and I, very pointedly this question, which comes back to my first point at the beginning of this message, is how will people know unless we tell them? Your friends need to know the Lord. Your friends need to be shown how to get to heaven. God is not going to write it in the sky for them. Although I used to think as a, as a young Christian, he should. But then I realized that would be coercive, not persuasive. There's a dangerous prayer, and it's this, that you could use this week. Use me. Use me. And here's my final challenge to you. Make sure that your group has at least one person who hasn't stepped across the line and still on the journey to a relationship with God. Somebody's not quite here. And then together, take these seven action steps and pray them in faith, and God will use your partnership to reach one more for Jesus. Would you bow your heads? Father,
It is so clear that you've given us a mission in this world because it's your mission. To share the good news with others just like your son did. Thank you, Lord, that we don't have to do it alone. But there's another billion or so Christians. In fact, there's more than that. There's two billion. Lord, you know them all. In this world who know you. And we don't have to do it alone. Right now, I pray that you will raise up a people with a heart to share your good news with the world. Why don't you pray in your mind and just say, Dear God, Today I've realized again that you've put specific people in my life because you want me to share your love with them. Today I accept my mission and I want you to use me. Would you help me to be concerned about the people around me who do not know you yet? Help me to take these seven steps of partnership with my small group so that we can reach out together. And help me to always remember, Lord, that no one is hopeless and beyond the reach of your love. In faith, I ask you to help our group to reach out one more for Jesus. Amen.